Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Working FinTech Podcast. My name is Ying Tao. I'm a co-founder at Working FinTech, and today I'm so delighted to welcome Elena to join us and share her experience for the DEI initiative in the workplace. Hi, Elena. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us. And for the benefit of our audience. Could you give us a quick intro of your background, and then you know what really bring you in this leadership arena, and talk about the EI initiatives? Yeah. Well,、uh, let's see. My background is in executive and leadership development and coaching, and I've been a coach now for eight years. And before that, I was a professional opera singer. So I always like to say that because I created a big pivot myself. And I also was able to create a creative background into places that I go into now. That is really amazing. And you know, when I hear your story about pivoting your career from an opera singer to a professional coach, it really resonates because even though we're doing everything in the world of fintech, as you probably have heard, right, with the crypto the NFTs, it actually started really connecting to the world of creative music in particular. So before we get into DEI, can you actually share a little bit of you know your experience pivoting your career from a professional opera singer to what you are doing now? Yeah, well, I think the thing that I that I love the most about my story is I come from a background where I am I'm a biracial woman, so I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and my father is Peruvian and Spanish, and my mom is you know French, German, and Irish. So I'm a big combination of those two cultures, and what I love about it is that I grew up, you know, in the middle a lot, and so I had to really look at how I constructed my first career from proving or wanting to basically prove to my parents and my culture that I was good enough or that I was successful, and so I built a lot of the opera career that way. And when I got to the places that I was going, you know, after singing at like Lincoln Center and Carnegie Hall and and doing all the big things, I realized I wasn't happy. And so I really had to take a moment to look at where was my life going and what did I want to create next. And that's when I myself worked with a coach and realized that I I actually love music just for music. I never wanted it to be a business. And through that work, I fell in love with coaching, and that's、uh, what got me here today. <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome! And that sounds really familiar, right? Because you know, I worked on Wall Street for 15 years, and I mean, I love what I do, right? But part of it comes from proving to my culture, to my parents, to people around me that I can do this, right? Or this is something that is prestigious, or something that seems to be successful. And up to a point that you realize, you know, what you really enjoy. Versus, what is the part that really driven by performance? So, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And then, being a coach for more than eight years, right? I know you have worked with so many organizations, from leadership development, but also with a special focus in diversity inclusions. And you know, coming from the culture background that you just shared, and have gone through your personal journey, finding your voice and finding your passion. Creating, you know, your dream career, right? Kind of pivoting your career, even in the middle of that, all that. What do you think is the value of diversity、um, inclusion? Like, why companies should care about that rather than it's just a noble 
or nice word to talk about? Yeah, it's a really great question right now because I think what humans are craving and what we've been seeing after the pandemic, especially the last two years, is connection and belonging. And that is what, to me, diversity and inclusion is all about, is having everyone that comes to your space, if they choose to be in your space, belong. And then how can you create a culture that supports that environment? And to to answer your question directly, the reason I think that's important is because that's what creates legacy or longevity in a company, is having people that are loyal to you and your value system because it aligns with their own value system. And I think oftentimes in the past, we've aligned ROI or profit over human connection, and we've seen what that's caused. In some realms, you know, people have gotten very successful and created a lot of money, but people have been left behind. And so that that missing piece of human connection, what's possible if you have both ROI and profit and connection? And that has been something that in the last two years, I think people are really taking a look at. Gotcha, gotcha. I think what really resonates from what you shared is what if you have both? Because it seems like you either uh, really care about your team, which the performance suffers, or you care so much about the performance, people become numbers, right? And then there is no such uh, feeling of my company really cares about me right, as a human being. So from that lens, right, based on the work that you have been doing, and I know you have launched a new initiative, right, or a project, which we'd love to hear more about, right? What did you notice that has worked, right? Or do you have any like success story or something that worked, right, to really kind of paint the picture of what good looks like? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I launched the C-Suite Collective, which is a new platform that we launched in November of 2021. And this platform exists to basically go into companies and create culture from the inside out. So the whole mission and values approach of the company is around helping companies create that culture that we're talking about right now. So the success stories have been the people that are really willing to sign on for a whole year and work with us to have support structures in place that are more than they think is necessary. So we were piloting a couple of programs before we launched, and this is the data that we learned before we you know, launched in November. So we're bringing it forward to the world. But basically what that means is we're looking for people that you know, maybe had one DEI training and nothing changed, or they have a chief diversity officer on their, their company you know, payroll, but nothing is changing. And so we really looked at that for a whole year and said, what's the data saying and why are they not actually shifting their cultures? And what we found is that people were unwilling to be in the conversation long-term and see results over the period of a whole year. They want change right now, right? So you've got these, got people that are like, well, I did that diversity training and I think that that should have fixed the whole problem. And instead, we have now seen companies that basically all of their senior leadership hire coaches, private coaches. They bring in four to six trainings a year that continually build on each other around the conversation of inclusion and belonging. And then we have, you know, healing modalities that actually support the structures of healing in a conversation around race or social justice or inclusion or people that have been marginalized. And that's the piece that I think a lot of people have been resisting. 
And so we also bring in those kinds of practitioners to help throughout the year. And what we're seeing is that you can actually track the data of a culture changing through assessments and people are more invested than when they've started. Thanks so much for sharing that. I really like your approach to leverage data to measure the progress, right? So there is not enough room to let for interpretation whether it works or not, right? Because the data can really tell the story consistently over a period of time. And I think also something that really stood out from what you shared is the longevity. It's like there are firms that are actually willing to put in not only money, right, but a lot of efforts to work on this longer term. So it seems like, you know, changing the culture or cultivating the culture is not a quick fix, right? You actually have to have some dedication that will really achieve the results. So it comes back to the results, right? From your experience or what you have been seeing, right, do you think it's worth for the firms, right, to put in a lot of efforts doing it longer term, you know, just from, I wouldn't say ROI of just from a monetary term, right, but from the overall investment in terms of investing in their people or investing in their culture and bring the DEI angle into their workforce? Well, I think it does work, but I also think it depends on what your goals are as a company. You know, it goes back to your own values as a company. If you are only interested in one thing, aka, you know, making more money or scaling your company quickly, something of that nature, then you've got to have a conversation of who will you be during those moments where you're actually trying to grow. And if you can create a place where you're coming together and having both, just like we said, inclusion and belonging and growth at the same time, those are the companies that I see being the most successful at this. And what does success even mean? Well, it it means the people who are not committed to being in a conversation that's culturally inclusive leave. And the ones that are committed to that stay and grow and develop. And so over two years, that's actually what you end up seeing is you have a culture now that is creating a legacy of people being served and creating results at the same time. So yeah, I think it really does work, but I think that there has to be an honest conversation about if you're committed to it. Gotcha. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And then we talked about challenges, right? I'm sure, you know, any transformational work or leadership work, it's, uh, I wouldn't say hard, right? But it definitely takes time and effort and take a lot of heart and soul rather than just time and money. So from your experience, what do you think are the challenges that practitioners or transformers or innovators still face uh, in addressing or embrace DEI initiatives and create a belonging culture at work? I think the number one challenge right now is people are trying to get it right. And so when I come into a a conversation with a leader, the first thing I'll say is, hey, let's just make an agreement right now that this is going to be messy, it's not going to be fun, and you're not going to get it right. There's going to be a lot of times where you're going to have to own and be responsible for your own blind spots and what's going on. And if we set the foundation that way, I think we have a high potential for letting go of getting this perfect or right, which is the number one thing in the way, the number one barrier that's in the way to even starting these conversations. Mm. And that's a really mind-opening comments, right? I think getting in the way is people's desire to get it right. 
Because even coming from the entrepreneurial world, right? Like, you know, as a startup, as you are building your company and building your product, if you wanted to get it right, you will be handicapped and you're probably not likely to get it what was working. So that's a really interesting uh, perspective, right? Even when companies are looking at some of these DEI or transformative initiatives, your desire and want to even get it right in the first place may get in the way for you to really open it up and looking at uh, what's under the hood. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is there anything else that you wanted to point out? I think another challenge is, again, the quick fix. We've kind of already talked about this, but bringing in one training and expecting it to change overnight or expecting that the amount of money you've invested is enough. So that's, that is also another stop for most people where perhaps taking a look at if I was willing to invest in this over the next 10 years, what would my budget line look like for inclusivity and belonging and really expanding what the conversation of support looks like. And that even goes into, you know, when you're hiring diverse talent and you're getting in new people that maybe the company hasn't ever worked with before, do they have support to succeed? You know, so some people that are in these C-suite roles for the first time, right, that were maybe interviewed and they were brought on for diversity, but also for their skills might need a different level of support. And what I mean by that is maybe they need a BIPOC coach, or maybe they need a coach that's also been marginalized so that they can talk about some things that they're working through as leaders in the world, um, especially a world that's trying to raise the bar of inclusion. Mm. Definitely. And I think, you know, I work in fintech. We work with corporations right in the fintech industry to solve a lot of these, um, what we, we wouldn't call it issues, right? But we wanted to call it big problems. And one thing we notice is fintech is an industry that really grows exponentially, right? It grows really, really fast. And there is a lot of money and capital involved. But at its core, I think people choose to do fintech usually come from the background or a wanting of to change the world or make the world a better place. So you notice there is a lot of caring or there is a lot of emphasizing in, you know, how can we change the industry for better? Maybe we have an opportunity, right, to start something from scratch so we can really level the playing field and to tackle the DEI issue even in the very beginning, right, as it starts so what I'm personally very um, motivated is every single time I talk to leaders, right, founders and CEOs in the space, almost everyone really start to pay attention right, in DEI. So even in our own teams, right, we started to really bring people from different backgrounds and stuff. So based on your experience, right, and also what you have seen, what are some of the best practices, right, you would suggest that company to consider when they are thinking, right, like there's one thing like I really care and I wanted to do something about it versus that I don't know where to start. So what are some of the best practices you think, you know, leaders in the space who care about DEI, care about belonging and culture can really start to think? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think the first place I would look is when you're interviewing. When you're looking for talent and you're bringing talent on, you know, I would open and expand your questions from an interview perspective to asking people that are, you know, that, that you're bringing on, what would you need to be successful here? 
How can I support you as a leader to get what you need? And really listening on an individualized approach. Because again, if we're working with lots of different types of people, people are going to need lots of different types of things. So instead of making it so standardized across the board for a conversation around what's fair or unfair, slowing way down and asking your people what they really need. Because what you're assuming they need might be different than what they need. So I think that's the first place I would start. The second is exactly what we've already said, you know, create a plan. What is the long-term plan to get people and your culture served? And uh, just like we look at, you know, three and five and 10 years down the road, and we make goals based on quarters with businesses, same approach with your culture. How are you attending to it and how are you growing it? And what are the support structures you have in place? That is, that's where I would start too. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. And you touched on about recruiting, right? Uh, which I think is even more important uh, for working fintech because one of our mission is to really bridge the talent gap in the fast-growing fintech industry. And I see a lot of people dive into the space, right, for the monetary opportunities or for the work opportunities. But actually, because people believe in, say, crypto innovation technology, you see a lot of community-driven, right? People are actually very excited about the mission that the companies wanted to deliver or create. So from that perspective, right, I think one of the interesting things, even I noticed because I served on a number of the boards, right, uh, for women in derivatives or some of the culture background for AAPI community. One thing I even wonder when I launched some of those initiatives, is that by creating more focus in DEI, am I excluding men or am I excluding white white people, right? Or white audience. So by focusing on inclusion, am I purposefully creating the exclusion? So what is your view on that? Yeah, I think that's, we got to watch out for that too, right? Because everything about inclusion and belonging means everyone. Right. So I think what, why we're focusing on more diverse hires right now and leveling the playing field is traditionally it hasn't been everyone. So we're sort of trying to rebalance the system and also look at ways that the system is unjust and unfair. But that's, that's a really fine line between then leaving white people out. Right. You know, and looking at the structures that we've created where traditionally white Americans were the ones that, that had the upper hand. So I think leaders have to be really careful not to shame anybody, not to make anything wrong. And when you're looking at talent and diversity, if, you know, 90% of your company is already white and you're looking at the white candidate who is more qualified than the diverse candidate, there's a couple ways you can think about this. Do I want to bring on a diverse candidate and again, get them support to have them be part of this culture long-term so that we are then part of our mission and vision, right? In our value system of creating a more even playing field, or do I want to keep creating a system that's going to perpetuate more of the same? So this is not meant to exclude white people in any way, shape, or form, or anybody that's the majority of the company, but it's really meant to look at what do you want to create long-term? And that's the conversation that might spark some new ideas. Gotcha. Thank you so much for bringing back the long-term vision back into the equation, right? It seems like 
when you're truly clear on what this long term or the future look like, it's much easier for you even to think of shorter term choices, right? Because either you're aligned to your future goals or not. Right. And throughout the conversation, right, I think one word that you talked multiple times, right, is belonging. So what is belonging? What is your definition of belonging? And then what is your, say, future vision, right, of a workplace that full of belonging look like? Yeah, my definition, my working definition of belonging is that any, anywhere that you are creating a shared space of community and being seen and being authentically supported in who you are. So belonging doesn't mean like, I fit here and everybody notices that I fit and makes me feel safe or warm or welcome. Although I do think we need to feel like we can say what we need to say and have a brave space. But remember, brave spaces aren't always easy. Brave spaces have uncomfortable conversations that are sometimes hard. So to me, belonging goes hand in hand with having a space where I can say what I need to say. And also my personal value system aligns with the value system of the company. I think that's the number one place to start for belonging, because if your values don't align with the company you're working for, that automatically might make you feel like you don't belong, right? And it's simply, it's not because one party is right or wrong. It's simply just a misalignment of values. So to me, that's, that's what belonging in a workplace culture looks like. Gotcha. Thank you so much. And what's coming next for your new company, for C-Suites Collective? Oh my gosh, what's coming next is we have two exciting companies that are, you know, in conversations with starting this year-long contract with us. And really, we're still in beta testing. So we're using this year again as just collecting more data and really seeing what the results are. But so far, the results have been incredible. And our big, big vision, which I haven't really told anybody, so you're the first to know, is that you know, in by year 2023, we can actually turn around and gift a company this work so that we have, you know, got enough of our own start where we can turn around and be our word, which is, you know, getting access to people that typically don't have access to this kind of support. So that's our big long-term vision is making enough ROI and capital ourselves so that we can turn around and give this work in the world to companies that may not have as much capital to access us. Aww. That's so great to hear. And thank you so much for putting your heart and soul into this work, kind of constantly, right, making changes in the workplace. Thank you.